Why haven't other countries been able to come to Ukraine's aid? Obviously, this is a potential powder keg. Yet NATO and Russia, if then it's suddenly it's Russia versus the U.S. Nuclear power. There are a lot of elements here. There's a lot of help going into Ukraine as far as supplies and that kind of thing. Uh, military supplies, lethal aid, etc. And a lot of action being taken against Russia in economic sanctions, uh, hitting that country really hard, essentially cutting it off from the world economy may be seen as that's the only real concrete action that can be taken. And even then, Russia's kind of going, you know, this is almost like a declaration of war as well. The economic war against us, it's almost like declaring war on us. Is there, you know, are, are the Western nations doing the right thing by launching these sanctions? And like I said, there's a lot of layers to this, but I do want to talk in terms of uh, the principles of international law, etc., what this could set up for down the road. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of complication involved in this, so I need some help. Uh, Craig Martin is professor of law out of Washburn University. He recently did a, a research report looking at some of these, these elements to, you know, the complicated uh, consequences out of what would seem to be further direct action. He, uh, he's joining us this morning. Craig Martin, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, did, did you hear the desperation in my voice to try to figure out how to sort of explain this a little bit? Because it, it is exceptionally complicated. Uh, you, you can say, let's put the sanctions on Russia, punish them for their illegal actions. But there are a lot of layers to it. Is that fair? Absolutely. I mean, you're quite right that <clears throat> there's not a lot of tools in the toolbox when you're dealing with nuclear power, such as Russia, in a situation like this. And so economic sanctions are often seen as, as one of the peaceful ways or, or nonviolent ways in which you can exert pressure on a country to try to alter its foreign policy behavior, its foreign policy options. But uh, as you say, it's not without uh, a myriad of complications. Can you just run through some of those complications and consequences for us? And I know there are a lot, so hit me with the highlights. Sure. So, I mean, the report that I wrote, uh, which was really calling on Canadian policymakers to, to perhaps rethink some of Canada's approaches to economic sanctions, suggests that really there's human rights considerations that need to be taken into account. Now, <clears throat> the the situation in Russia, of course, is is extreme, but Canada has sanctions in place against countries like Venezuela, Iran, Iraq, <clears throat> uh, Myanmar, Mali. I mean, there's quite a lot of sanctions in place, and each of those require considerations of whether Canada is complying with and being consistent with the human rights law and the human rights values that Canada likes to champion. And is that in reference to how those sanctions could impact civilians, individual residents of those countries? Is that is that what we're looking at? Well, we're looking at two ends of the spectrum. So on, on one end of the spectrum, you're quite right that you're looking at the entire population. So, I mean, this isn't as much of a problem for a country like Canada, but when Canada joins with in sanctions regimes uh, launched by countries like the United States, they can become quite comprehensive in, in their uh, application uh, to the extent that they can actually cause food insecurity and impact the public health of the target population. And it raises questions when food insecurity is actually implicated, when you're actually impacting on and causing potential starvation, as happened in Iraq in the 1990s, uh, and more recently in Iran during the COVID uh, pandemic, there were suggestions that American sanctions were causing loss of life due to a shortage of, of medicines. 
it raises questions as to whether that constitutes a violation of human rights obligations owed to the, the entire population. Now, that's debatable and, and debated within international law, whether a country like Canada has obligations to the people of Iraq. But there are increasing arguments that when you are causing food insecurity, it does trigger human rights uh, obligations. Well, and then the other end of the spectrum... Yeah, okay, so go ahead. Sorry, but, you know, at the other end of the spectrum to your question, you know, we also have what are called smart sanctions or targeted sanctions, and this is very much in play in in the context of Russia, where you have so-called Russian oligarchs who have individually been targeted for sanction. And there are human rights implications there, too. You need to make sure that you're targeting the right person, that there's a good reason for targeting them. But most importantly, you need to be sure that there are processes and procedures in place within the legal regime that you set up for implementing sanctions to allow that person to challenge the sanctions, to ask for an explanation for evidence as to why they're being targeted, and most importantly, a process for them to challenge legally for to seek judicial review of the, uh, those sanctions. There becomes an issue, though, uh, if you if you can get mired down in second thoughts. So in the in this instance, in the Ukraine Russia uh, war, if you don't take action, if you sit there and try to to argue it or go back and forth, then the opportunity to make some change is gone. Yeah, there is also the argument about yes, you could uh, affect food security, say in that country, but obviously the security of the Ukrainian citizens is being impacted as well. So uh, that's what I mean. Can you separate policy for down the road from reality now? Well, I'm not sure it's it's a question of separating policy from reality, but, you know, you're quite right that in a situation like we have in, in the war in Ukraine, I think very few people are questioning the lawfulness of most of the sanctions that are are in place against Russia. Uh, Another concept of international law is something called countermeasures, which allows countries to do things that would otherwise be unlawful if they are in response to an unlawful act of another country. And the purpose of taking the action that would otherwise be unlawful Mm. is to induce that country to come back into compliance. So Russia has clearly, unequivocally violated international law with its act of aggression against Ukraine, and that would seem to justify sanctions, even if the sanctions were questioned as being unlawful, which very few people are doing at this state. But having said that, uh, and, you know, I I don't want to be heard to be questioning either the lawfulness or the importance of the sanctions against Russia. I think they're, they're important at this stage. As you say, it's one of the tools that we have to try to force Russia to cease and desist the act of aggression in Ukraine. But we should be mindful of the the harm, the suffering that it is likely these sanctions are likely going to inflict in time, right? So, I mean, the, the pressure on the ruble has been enormous. The, 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 the ruble has has dropped in value uh, something like 60%. And the real impact of that on the people within Russia over the, the next few weeks is going to be enormous. Yeah, it absolutely is. And the and how long it will take uh, that country to recover, assuming this finally wraps up, it's going to be years down the road. And, you know, the old whatabouts, you can also say the recovery from the damage and uh, the loss of life in Ukraine will also be years down the road. That is the nature of war. It is hideously destructive, both economically in this case and also uh, in reality. Uh, it, it, it's an important conversation to have, though, as we move forward, uh, I think, is, is, is the important thing that you're trying to, to lay out here. We need to look at the legalities for international law. What is, what is important to, to, to you know, focus in on down the road? 
Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, the, the problem with situations like the, the war in Ukraine is it can create sort of precedents for action going forward. And okay. it's one thing to say that all-out sanctions against a country like Russia in, in, in the face of an act of aggression uh, like we have here justifies these, these level of sanctions. But one shouldn't sort of take that as, therefore, the standard operating procedure for all countries yeah. in much lesser circumstances. So, you know, I think Canada should be looking at its sanctions against Venezuela, for example, and asking whether the level of sanctions imposed on Venezuela in concert with, with the United States and others uh, really are justified, given what is that issue there. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.